0: you all look very good this Easter. You look very spring-like, which is good. I I see a lot of pastels. I bought myself a purple tie just for today. So, uh, you know, any compliments in my direction would be great. Sure appreciate that. Um, You know, Easter is is a great time. It's a time of of a a brand new season. And, uh, you know, I want to share with you just right up front the same message that I shared with the kids. And uh, Easter egg hunts are are fun, and pastels are great, and we love to bring out our our spring colors and celebrate the new season. Uh, But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what this is all about. It's why we're gathered here today. Uh, And in fact, it's why we gather together every single week. Um, Easter is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time event. Easter is every Sunday that we celebrate the resurrected Jesus Christ. And uh, so I want to offer to you today uh, some sort of a framework of why the resurrection matters and uh, why we should get excited and why it, it really, you know, some people would say we ought to do away with Easter egg hunts, and we ought to do away with all these fun things. But, but I would say no. Let's not do away with them. Let's let's frame them as a celebration of what this season is really all about. It's great to have fun. It's great to celebrate because Jesus rose from the grave, and that's what this is all about. Amen. And so we're very excited today, and I, I want to um, I want to offer you, as I said, a sort of a, a, a new perspective on. Why the resurrection matters in our lives. And, you know, some, some would say, and these things are true, but a lot of times when we come to the resurrection uh, of Jesus, we, we really just say, on, on one level we say, Oh, oh, isn't that great? God is, is not dead. He's alive. And so we don't serve a, a, a statue. We don't serve a memorial. Uh, we don't serve some sort of static idol. But we serve a God who is alive, He's active, He's living, uh, and, and he's, he's working in our world. And, and to that I would say a hearty Amen. We serve a God who is alive and He's good. And if we, if we go down another level, we might say, well, the, well, the resurrection of Jesus is, is not so much, or on a deeper level, really about that death has been defeated. That, that we can have new life in Christ. That the death could not hold Jesus. And, and so death in our world has, has gone away with. And to that I would say another hearty amen. But, but the, the, the trouble is, is as we look at these even couple of layers of resurrection, I wonder how many times we we don't live day to day as as though those realities are true. Or or let me reframe that. Uh, Some of us might wonder, that's great, and I'm here to celebrate that, but what difference does that make tomorrow, the day after Easter, the rest of the year? And so what I want to do today is I want to pull the resurrection of Jesus from the past in this, this sort of one-time event that, that happened and is true. And then we celebrate once a year. And what I want to do is I want to pull it from there into our everyday lives and begin to say that, that yes, God is alive. Yes, death has been defeated. For Scripture even says, where, oh, death is your victory? And where, oh, death is your sting? But I want to take us one step further and say, what does the resurrection have to do with our everyday lives, our, our going-to-work lives, our neighborhood lives? Our lives at school, how can the resurrection inform what we do every single day? And how does it make a difference for us? right now and to do that i want to look at the gospel of john Uh, john chapter 20 i'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture to you today it's actually john chapter 20 the first 23 verses Uh, so not quite the whole chapter but almost and uh, i believe that there are some there are some truths in this passage that are going to help us really make a difference uh, and and bring that resurrection reality into our everyday lives okay so you guys excited to hear god's word today Alright, all right. so here it is, John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 23. It says this, Now early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put, them, put him. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now he bent over, he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And there he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Now the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. And they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I want to stop there just to, to quickly introduce you to this book. Many people will approach this book as though it's a textbook. And they will begin to try to mine out propositional truths that can be put on a magnet and then put on your fridge. Uh, and, and that's okay. And there are some propositional truth in, truths in this book. But this book is primarily a story. It's a narrative of humanity and how God intersects time and humanity with the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, this book hinges on what we celebrate today. That Jesus got up out of the grave, that death has been defeated, and it makes all the difference on where this story goes. So I would encourage you not to mind through this as though it's a textbook, but read it as a story of God's intervention into humanity as we celebrate today. So it says this. So then, verse, picking up at verse 10, the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying, and, she, and as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and then she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And then they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was, in fact, Jesus. And then he asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying? "'Who is it that you are looking for?' "'And thinking that he was the gardener, "'she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, "'tell me where you have put him, "'and I will go and get him.' "'And then Jesus said to her, "'Mary.' She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to the brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples along with the, with the news, I have seen the Lord, and I have told them. And, I, and then she told them all the things that he had said to her. Now on the evening of the first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed, for they saw the Lord. Now again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And and as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins will be forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, then they will not be forgiven. Now we have to understand something about the Gospel of John. And that is this. The Gospel of John is like an onion. It's true. The Gospel of John is like an onion. The more layers you peel back, the better it gets. Right? Come on, I worked really hard on that. (laughs) I worked really hard on that. Uh, you see, you can, there's, there's a way to understand the Gospel of John. You can sort of understand it at one level. Then you can peel back a layer, and it gets even better. You can peel back another layer, and it gets even better. And so what I want to do today is, is begin to notice the layers that are in this passage. And I would say that at the very first layer is this reality that John wants us to, to, to know very Like like he makes it very, very clear in the passage, this is the first day of the week. He tells us that right at the very beginning in verse 1. He mentions it again in verse 19. It's as though he's saying there's something more to this. This is the first day of the week. Now, he could just be sharing information. And I think on one level, he needs to do that. He wants us to, he wants to let us know that Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rose again on Sunday, the first day of the week. But I, be, I think if we begin to peel back even more layers, we begin to see the the truth that that John is trying to get to us. He's trying to get through to us from this detail in the story, the very first day of the week, and he does it through these different signs in the Gospel of John. These different signs or miracles, because John, as we read the Gospel all the way through, he, he begins telling us that after a miracle that Jesus performed, this was a sign, and then the next miracle, this was a sign, and then the next miracle, this was a sign. And then miracle, miracle, miracle. And he, he just stops telling us that it was a sign because he's hoping that we're smart readers. And by that time we'll catch on. And, and here's what happens. If you look at the signs in the gospel of John, here's what you get. In John chapter two, the very first sign is that Jesus turns water into wine. And John says, after this miracle, this was a sign. The second one that we get is in John chapter 4, Jesus heals the official son. This was the second sign. The third sign in John chapter 5 was healing the man at the pool. Then John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. John chapter 6 again, just right after that story, Jesus walks on water. Then the sixth sign, John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And then the seventh sign, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so these miracles or these signs begin with turning water into wine. And then they ultimately progress to the point where he is raising Lazarus from the dead. They're getting more and more unique. They're getting more and more powerful, these signs in the Gospel of John. Now some of you are like, thank you for that little Bible study. Where are you going? And I'm, you know, I, I can understand that. Here, here's the deal. The number seven is pretty significant, right? Seven signs in the Gospel of John. In, in a Jewish, ancient sort of mindset, seven would be this number of wholeness or completeness. And it would also immediately, for the good Jew, who is the, the original reader of the Gospel of John, it would, have, it would have immediately called to mind what? Creation, which happened in seven days, Right? And so what we have is John sort of lining up these signs, these miracles, this way of saying this, that we're we're coming to the completion of something because there's seven signs. These signs are getting ever more powerful. They're increasing. They're going a particular direction. And then we come to John chapter 20, the passage that we just read. And the miracle of Jesus being raised from the dead, which would be what? The eighth sign. Now, some of you help me out. If, if seven is a complete day, what's day number eight? The start of a new week, right? And what, what John is trying to tell us by this, it was the first day of the week, combined with this order of signs, is that the resurrection is the beginning of God's new creation that's breaking in and coming right into the middle of this one right? That God's new creation, that all of these sorts of signs were pointing us ultimately to the start of a brand new creation, which began at the resurrection. In other words, what I want to say to you today is that the resurrection is, yes, death is defeated. The resurrection is, yes, Jesus is alive. But I also want to pull back another layer and say that the resurrection is the start of the brand new world that God is bringing about right in the middle of this one. Are you with me? Now, some of you I know have life experiences that will that will make you immediately say, "God's new world, yeah, right." Where's that? Because all I see when I look around is brokenness, and you'll begin to you're already thinking, and you're beginning to ask questions. Yeah, but where was God when? Where was God when my mother died way too early? Where was God on September 11th? Where was God? When this happened. Where was God when I couldn't make ends meet? And you'll say yeah that's great man. Resurrection. Awesome. Easter. Cool with that. Jesus is a great model. Awesome. Jesus got up out of the grave. And began a brand new creation. Right into the middle of our brokenness. And all of a sudden you begin to take issue. Where was God when? And I understand. Your heartache. I understand your pain. Because I've had those moments too. I've had those moments of where was God when? And where's this new creation that you're talking about? Where was that? And here's what I believe that we have from Scripture, from experience of those who follow Christ, that right in the midst of your brokenness, in those moments where you felt like God was completely absent, where was God? Right there. God was right in the midst of your brokenness. Bringing healing. Where was was God when your mom died way too early? He was coming alongside of you offering peace. Offering healing. Yeah, but it really hurt. I know. But God was there lifting you up. Where was God on September 11th? Ground zero. Empowering rescue workers. Giving wisdom to doctors. God is right there in the midst of brokenness, working this world out, bringing all things to redemption, making everything brand new. Because what I want to argue is that for all the brokenness in the world, what we also see is evidence of God's good creation. What we also see is evidence of life change. What we also see is evidence of things being made brand new. And what a perfect time of year to talk about things being made brand new. Where metaphorically, we we go through this winter... And then all, all these things raise back to life. The trees begin to bud again after the, the tree carnage in, in Fort Collins in October, last October, right? And the, and the tree says, yeah, but I still live, <laughs> right? It's a beautiful picture of what we begin to see and experience on a, on a very physical level in creation, we experience on a personal level. And it all hinges back to this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in John chapter 20. This is why we asked you to send in pictures that represent newness or being made brand new. And you can see them on, the, on our tree in the back. And it's just a, a tremendous picture of this reality. The resurrection is the very first sign Of new creation. It's a Sunday but a different kind of Sunday. Because the the old creation, the one that we're in the midst of now, it has a death problem. But the new creation that God is bringing about doesn't. And that's good news. That is beautiful news for us. So for all the brokenness in our world, we also see resurrection resurrection life. In other words, Jesus doesn't just offer us a brand new code of ethics. Jesus doesn't just offer us some sort of higher spirituality. Jesus doesn't just offer us a way to to, to talk in sort of generic spiritual terms. What Jesus offers us is a brand new creation breaking forth in the middle of this one, in the midst of our brokenness. We have a Christ-centered newness. Because Jesus got up out of the grave and death could not hold him. Right? And I I would imagine, and we won't take time to do this this morning, but I would imagine that if we were to go around the room and just begin to say, where have you seen God at work? Where has God displayed himself to be faithful? When was a time where in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of chaos, you began to experience things like life and peace and healing and hope and all of these things. Let me tell you today, church, that these things are not just isolated in a broken world. That is the true reality, that Jesus rose from the dead and he is bringing these things about in our world, so that when you experience hope, when you experience healing, when you experience peace through the presence of God, what you are experiencing is the new creation that God intends to bring about in this world. I don't know what you've been told about the world. I don't know if you've been told it's just going to hell in a handbasket, and it's just getting, it's going down the toilet drain, but let me tell you that God's plan is to bring this world up, and to renew it, and to redeem it, and to restore it, and to make it brand new. That is our hope, church. And we celebrate that on Easter. But let me also say to you, we celebrate that every single week. Which is why we come to church with joy, and with celebration, and with gladness, and with shouts of praise, and with claps. Because we get to experience God's new creation. And that we see the evidence all over. And that even in the midst of the most horrifying times that this life can bring to us, even in the midst of intense brokenness, we can point back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and say, I have a hope that is secure because there's a brand new world that is right around the corner. God is bringing it. And for that, I am thankful. Scripture gives us an idea of what this brand new world will look like. And it's, it's sort of these pictures of this new world. And it's, one of them is in Revelation chapter 21, where, where John, again, uh, sees this vision from God, and God gives him a glimpse into this brand new world that God is bringing about. And it says this, Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and listen to this he will wipe away every tear from their eye there will be no more death there will be no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away behold I am making everything new says the one who is seated on the throne this is our hope church Our hope is not reduced just to to flying away from here someday. Our hope is found in the fact that God is making this place brand new. And that we can experience it right here and right now. In little glimpses, in little touches, we begin to see God's new world. And let me tell you, one of my favorite examples of God's new world breaking in happened today with baptism. You take these young ladies who say, you know, I grew up in church, and then my heart became hardened, and then God opened my heart again, and I began to experience community. I began to fall in love with this church again, and now I am made brand new. You want to talk about God's new world breaking in right in the midst of our brokenness. It's easy to be cynical. But God takes the cynic away, and he says, behold, there's something made brand new. There's something happening and it's big. There's something big going down. And God says, I want you to be a part of it. So we get one image in, in, in Revelation. We also get an image in, in Isaiah. It says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The formal things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. And I will rejoice over Jerusalem. And I will take delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. It's a beautiful picture. In other words, let me say this to you: the resurrection is not just sort of this really unique, uh, re- really unique thing that happened in history. It's like the start of God's new creation. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we could point say, "In a oh that wa- wasn't that unique." God displayed His power in great ways. Or we could say that God displayed His power in great ways in order to begin His new creation, His work of redemption made solid throughout the rest of time. So the eighth day is Sunday again. And John's point is this. The resurrection is a Sunday, but it's a different kind of Sunday. The old creation had a death problem. The new one doesn't. And let me show you, Jesus got up from the grave. Death has been defeated. Amen? Amen. Now, this is a beautiful thing, but John also, he includes all these details. First day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week. And and, and then check this out. Um, Mary mistakes Jesus as a gardener. Which, which automatically is going to pull us back and say that in the Garden of Eden, where, where all things were made perfect and all things were made new, and it's this beautiful creation, and then Jesus, then Mary looks upon the body, the physical body of the resurrected Jesus, and thinks that he is a gardener. Which immediately points us back again to this concept of new creation. Now the Greek here is literally wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> right? I mean, John's telling this narrative, and he's like, Gardner, get it? You know, he's wanting us to begin to catch on. The resurrection is the start of a brand new creation. The new creation, but let me, let me tell you this the new creation is not just for the entire world, it's for you. In other words, there's, there's two sides to this new creation. On one side, God wants us to begin to experience it. He wants us to see the evidence of it. He wants us to begin to see all things being made new. He wants us to see the hope that is real in the resurrected Jesus. But then he says, not only do I want you to see it and sort of experience it passively, but get this, I want to make you brand new. I want to make you new. And that's the beauty of Easter. Because so oftentimes we take this biblical narrative, we take good news about God's new creation, and we push it to everyone and everything but us. And what I wanted you to do, and I want, what I want to do for you today, is help you to realize that you can be made new. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. That by placing our faith in him, there's something that changes in our hearts. And where we're commissioned to not only experience God's new creation, but begin to participate with it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For the old is gone, and the new has come. You see that this this new creation that God is breaking forth is made available to us. And Paul wants to make that very, very clear. That those of you who are in Christ, those of you that have confessed Christ, accepted Him, there's something dramatic that changes in your heart. You're made brand new. And the old order of things has gone away to make room for the new, which is precisely what we do in baptism. We symbolize that these people have died to their old self and are now being raised to new life in Christ. It's a beautiful picture of God's new creation, not only breaking in around the world, but breaking into the personal lives of those who were baptized. And it's for you too. Because so often we push it away. We say, yeah, that's great. Yes, I agree. And we might even, we might even make sort of intellectual assent to a particular set of facts. We might even intellectually say, yes, Jesus existed. Jesus was crucified. And Jesus rose from the dead. But even if we always keep it right up here, we're we're still keeping the resurrection at arm's length. We're still keeping the resurrection to a once a year kind of thing. And, And what I want to encourage you today is to realize two things. One, the resurrection is, is not just sort of this great thing that happened for God to display his power. He was beginning his brand new creation that he intends to bring about. The way this, sto- this whole story is headed, you know that you find yourself in the middle of a story, don't you? And so oftentimes we try to use a wrong script or we try to write our own. So first, we need to align ourselves with God's narrative that he's telling. The story that we find ourselves in. Realize where it's headed. But then also make it personal. And say that through Christ, I can be made brand new. And I can begin to experience this new creation right inside of me. So through Christ, we have the opportunity to experience new creation by being made brand new. This means a couple of things. Hope is real hope is real I think sometimes in our culture we have diminished hope to a wish it's like, it's like flipping your coin into the fountain at the mall I hope I wish but what the gospel of Jesus says is that hope is real And that as we experience this brokenness, and as we experience God's kingdom coming in the midst of that brokenness, we can can rest on the assurance that one day there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And we can experience that in our own lives. So hope is real because Christ, because Christ, because of the resurrection, can restore your marriage. God can have the power to break you from the chains of an addiction. Do you realize that the resurrection is, is, is makes a difference in these things? Hope is real. And if hope is real, that means if your marriage is falling apart and you've lost all hope, if hope is real and restoration and reconciliation and redemption is real and as, because as it is, because of the resurrection, then God in faith can begin to put your marriage back together. That he can begin to break those chains of addiction that you face. And all of these sorts of levels of brokenness that you and I experience, we rest in the hope and the, sure, the certainty that hope is real. Restoration is available to us. Not just fully one day when we'll experience it. but right here and right now and I hope that just by saying that you find hope you realize this message is about hope I hope so <laughs> right that's clever so when you feel like your marriage is dead when you feel like hope is dead when you feel like your life has been wasted and your potential is dead all of these dead moments are pregnant with potential for resurrection. Amen? All of these moments that you consider dead because of the resurrection of Christ can be renewed again, can be brought back to life. And I want to encourage you with that today. Now there's one more thing about this passage that I think is critically important. First of all, John wants us to understand the first day of the week, the start of a brand new creation. Second of all, John wants to us to understand it's just not for the whole world. It's also for us. We begin to, we can experience this new creation. Paul picks this up, idea up in 2 Corinthians. If you are in Christ, you are made new. But then at the end, right toward the end of the passage that we read, John gives us another detail. And he says, "So Jesus says, so as I was sent, I am also Sending you. Some of you are here today. And you feel like that not only is your life and your potential for all intents and purposes dead. But you also feel like your life has no purpose. No direction. No hope. And what the the truth of the gospel is that not only are we transformed and are we made new from the inside out. But as we are made new, God wants to send us out. In other words, you're not just made new for your own sake. And I wonder how many times in the way that you've heard the gospel presented to you is a totally self-centered gospel. You just need to get out of hell. And I think the gospel is far more beautiful than just avoiding hell. The gospel is so beautiful that God calls us to experience and to demonstrate God's new creation and then to experience it in our, in our lives. And then he wants to send us out so that we become ambassadors, so that you and I look around the world in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our workplaces, and we begin to see where is God at work? What is he doing? Where is new creation breaking in? Where, what, what is he doing? Where is God at work? And now I can join him in that. And I I can begin to be sent out by the power of God. It's a beautiful thing. In other words, new creation is breaking in and God is looking for partners. Whose team are you on? Right? It's a beautiful thing. All of a sudden life is given purpose. So regardless of your career, regardless of how you are paid, you can begin to be an ambassador for God's new creation. But what happens typically is people look at me and they say, "Oh, you're in the real work, right? I mean, you're 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 like in the work of saving souls. Me, I'm just in finance. Me, I'm just in the medical field. Me, I'm just I'm just a construction guy. The hope and the beauty." of God's new creation is that however you make your paycheck you are still commissioned you are still sent out so that through your work in construction through your medical uh, through your work in the medical field through your work in the in the financial field you can begin to demonstrate God's goodness God's mercy God's grace God's new creation are you with me now yes okay it's great news for us today. And so I'm going to change the gospel to, from good news to great news. Can I do that? Right? The word gospel literally means good news, not today. The word gospel today literally means great news. It's great news for us, it's great news for you. And so ultimately, under this framework, what the gospel becomes is not a ticket on the J train out of this place. But the gospel becomes an invitation. And I believe that this morning God is inviting some of you. That God is stirring in your heart. And then when when we talk about goodness and hope and healing in the midst of brokenness, you begin to say, I want to experience that. Not only for myself, but around the world. And I want to be given eyes to see that hope in the midst of what appears to be hopelessness. And so for many of you today, God is inviting you. He's inviting you not only to respond to the gospel, but he's inviting you so that you can be sent out to share the great news with the world.